Hello, welcome to our Early Education PedPod. I'm Cathy Gunning, Pedagogic Lead, and today I'm talking with Julie Fisher. This PedPod is in two parts, and this is the first. Julie talks about what young children need, the early years foundation stage, transition into year one, optimising learning, the power of play, and the importance of listening. You join us at the end of a training day where Julie's been sharing her insightful and extensive knowledge and research around early years pedagogy and teaching. We're meeting in a large training room in a London nursery school, which is why you can also hear children in the background. Can I start with uh, this question, please? What would you say to leaders and head teachers now who are pioneering and leading playful approaches within the early years foundation stage and primary age ranges? I'd say well done. I'd say well done because right at this moment there is such a pressure not to build on the foundation stage, not to look at what these very young children still need, but to get caught up in the school readiness agenda and to feel that if you're going to reach all the pressures or all the outcomes that people mm. are imposing on you mm. as a head, mm. that the only way to do that is to rush into the more formal aspects of learning earlier and earlier. And we know that all the research says that that in fact ends up depressing standards, not to mention depressing children and their teachers. Yeah, yeah. So to start with, it will be well done because you need to be brave, you need to be courageous. Yeah. And I think many head teachers also need to recognise what they don't know. There are, it seems to me, an increasing number of head teachers who are appointed who have no early years experience at all. And there was a time when heads like that would just say, oh, go and see Mm so-and-so, go and see Mrs. Mm so-and-so, she's in reception, she'll tell you. And we were rather angered by that and felt that that didn't show us enough respect for what we were doing. Now there are times when I almost wish some head teachers would still say that because they speak on behalf of their early years experts on their staff and some of the things that they are promoting or advocating are not in the best interests of those young learners simply because they've not had the experience themselves of knowing what it's like to teach young children, Mm -hmm. three, four, five Mm -hmm. and six Mm -hmm. years old. Mm -hmm. So they're expecting things that would mirror much more what you would expect from Key Stage 2 children than it is for Key Stage 1 or early years. Mm -hmm. So I think that the message to them is to make sure that they understand what it is that, how it is that young children learn and therefore the kind of experiences that are offered that will optimise children's learning. And that not only they know it, but that their senior leaders know it too. So anybody responsible for monitoring what's happening in those uh, early classrooms needs to really appreciate what it is they're looking at and looking for. And too often, again, people will go into classrooms and they will head for what they're familiar with. They'll head for the stuff that they recognise. And if they're key stage two teachers, that would be the more formal aspects of the curriculum where the teacher has a plan, Mm. the children are supposed to learn Mm. what's on the Mm. plan and you can make a judgement about whether or not that's happened. Mm. 
early learning is so much more complex mm. than that. Mm. And it excludes the whole child-led agenda. And if we're talking about building on the early years foundation stage, that has to mean that it starts with giving children the same opportunities to learn through their own child-led, self-directed activity mm. as they've had mm. in the early years. Now, of course, the, the balance between that and the adult-led agenda will shift. Mm -hmm. It's got to, because we realise that there are things that are being expected of mm -hmm. teachers and the children um, increasingly that come from government policy and government frameworks. But you cannot build on the foundation stage unless you incorporate, accommodate the child-led learning agenda alongside. So the challenge, I think, for those heads who say, yes, that sounds like a good plan, is to understand what the child-led agenda will offer children yeah. that a purely adult-led yeah. agenda never can. Yeah. So it's not the one taking the place of the other, but it's recognising that both have benefits, but the benefits are often different. Mm -hmm. The purpose of them is often different. Mm -hmm. The way you plan for them is different, mm -hmm. and the way you support them is different. Unless you understand that, you won't be able to build on it Mm -hmm. build on the foundation stage in ways that are appropriate for the children at the stage they're at now. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose a lot of what we were talking about mm. today is trying to help those who don't understand the power of child-led learning. Mm -hmm. Play is involved, high-quality yeah. play, where there's deep-level yeah. learning. But it's not something that you just do until Christmas of year one. Yeah. And people, heads who think that have misunderstood the power of play and of learning that children control for themselves because that's what it's about it's it's about children saying these are the things that fascinate me these are the things I want to find out about I'm highly motivated by these so give me the space give me the time give me the resources give me the opportunity and I'll show you what I can do and if you only privilege the adult-led mm -hmm. agenda in year one, mm -hmm. there will be children who thrive on that and children who enjoy it, and there will be those who absolutely don't because they're perhaps not ready for it, perhaps because their experiences at home haven't prepared them for it, or who simply are better at something else. Mm -hmm than that rather narrow mm. agenda that the literacy and numeracy strategies, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. let's face it, started us mm -hmm. to um, to think about and focus on perhaps sometimes too much for these younger children. Mm. <laughs> Thanks, Julie, you're nodding. <laughs> there, is so, there is so much more, but I think yeah. that's, yeah. that's the, yeah. the nub of it. There has to be yeah. an understanding that there are things that you learn when you control your own learning whether you're three mm. or six or nine or 16, mm. that you will never get mm. if mm. an adult controls everything mm. you learn, how mm. you learn it, mm. and what your outcomes will be. Mm. And those mm. things that child-led learning offers children, whatever age, are life skills. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're skills that adults need and that employers mm. Mm. want. Yes. So why would you stop yeah. that? Yeah. At Christmas yeah. of year one. Yeah. Why wouldn't you want your year five and year six to be every bit as competent at problem solving, using your initiative, uh, negotiating, working as part of a team, being creative with ideas, 
seeing something through that that you have set yourself as a challenge, wouldn't you want to see that in nine and ten and sixteen and seventeen and mm. beyond? Mm. Yes, you would. Sure. So the, you, yeah. the, these head teachers, brave as they are, yeah. have to realise perhaps what they don't know and spend time with their early years experts on their staff to understand everything, everything that that child-led agenda can bring in addition to the adult-led agenda that mm. matters so much to mm. schools nowadays. Mm. Thank you, Julie. So we know that you work with primary schools in, in thinking about child-led learning and a play-based pedagogy. What would you, if you can narrow it down, what, what are your priorities when it comes to effective and motivating learning for children and possibly across the phases of early years foundation stage and into year one? Well, the interesting thing, if you go back to your child development literature, is that the priorities don't change a great deal. What changes in this country are the external pressures that come from mm. government regulation, mm. government mm. policy frameworks, mm. and agencies such as Ofsted, mm. who set perhaps a sometimes conflicting agenda. Mm. So my priorities mm. would be that children have the opportunity to be like Bob the Builder and say, I can. You know, they come to us, most children, as incredibly competent learners some of them not all that confident depending upon what their home circumstances have been but we have a, a duty and a responsibility I think to maintain that sense of competence now when children come into the school system certainly even if it's nursery I think the two great gifts we can offer them in terms of support are to ensure that those feelings of competence and confidence remain. And of course, you're always much more confident and competent if you decide on the agenda. So the great skill for early years practitioners is when they're introducing an adult-led agenda and saying, this is what I'd like you to learn, this is what I'd like you to think about, this is what you might find useful, is to make sure that it's absolutely meaningful mm. to children and that the relevance that children find in their own self-initiated learning can still be found in that adult-led agenda. If you're confident and competent and have that strong sense mm. that that is what you would like as a learner, mm -hmm. then what you have are huge feelings of self-worth and everything we know from the research that says it's not necessarily just literacy and numeracy that tells you how well children are going to succeed. Mm -hmm. It is about whether you can manage your learning, whether you can manage your feelings, whether you can be confident to express your ideas, whether you are able to set yourself a challenge and see it through. All of those things will sometimes mean that a child that's imbued with those skills does better than the child who might be by more traditional measures brighter but who's already learnt to wait for somebody uh -huh. else to tell them how to do it, uh -huh. to wait for an adult to say well done, to wait for an yeah. adult to say oh do it like this. Yeah. So you need those children who want to grab you and say this is 
how I want to do it. This is what makes sense to me. This is what I like, who I am, if I have control over, over that agenda. So self-worth is critical to see you through the education system. Alongside that comes language, mm -hmm. comes mm -hmm. the capacity to say what you want to say, to be able to reason in mathematics, to be able to tell a story, to be able to say how yeah. you feel. If you don't have those huge skills yeah. of language and communication from your experiences at home, then all the weight, all the importance of that falls on the early years practitioner. Because for some children, if you don't give them those skills, then who will? Mm -hmm. And we all know that there are children who arrive in our nurseries and our classrooms who've been listened to, who have been communicated with, who've been asked their opinions since the day they were born. And they are inevitably privileged in our education system. But for those children who aren't, for those children who've not had the richness of language, discussion, being asked opinions, mm -hmm. being asked about feelings, mm -hmm. then nursery and school might be the only place where that happens. And so every opportunity that children have to offer you a conversational ball that you can pass back, we have to grab. To, to my mind, nothing matters more. Because in fact, responding to a child, mm. saying, I'm interested in what you're interested in. I want to know more about what you're telling me. That embraces yeah. both of those things I've talked about. Yeah. It embraces yeah. self-worth. Yeah. You are worth listening to. Yeah. You are worth me stopping from where I was going and what I was yeah. going to do and getting down and talking to you. Yeah. So it, it promotes self-worth and it promotes language. Because there's nothing a child brings you that isn't full of nouns and adjectives and phrases and sentences and all the things that a child needs to do all that explaining and describing and reasoning and discussing that school demands. Mm -hmm. So they, to me, are the cornerstones, yeah. whether you're yeah. working in nursery yeah. or whether you're working yeah. right up to Key Stage 2. Yeah. In Key Stage 1 mm -hmm. and Key Stage 2, inevitably, there is a greater pressure from an adult-led agenda that covers the things that need to be covered, that addresses the things that need to be addressed in order for the school's targets, for the school's outcomes to be reached. But fundamentally for every child, the more that they have the sense of worth, the more that they have the skill of language and communication, they will then be able to engage with the rest of the agenda much more successfully. So we mustn't stop talking to children because we need to do talking at them. We mustn't stop remembering the vulnerability of some children just because we're trying to get them all sure. towards some external target. Yeah. So in a way, for me, those two things are yeah. they're my bedrock. Yeah. From which everything else I think comes. So. I think so. Yes. Thank you, Julie. Can I add yes. just one thing more? You see, <laughs> what's happened in the schools is a shift in the power over the learning day. When I was a young teacher, which granted was in the last millennium, my role was to provide an environment that, about which children were curious, that mm. introduced them to things that might stimulate them. Mm. My job was to inspire and to provoke 
to add to, to extend yeah. the opportunities yes. and experiences yes. that were already happening. Then we got to the beginnings of the adult, a, a realisation from Vygotsky, I suppose, that we could offer children something that might extend and expand their understanding and their learning more. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a danger that, that that contribution that an adult can make has been skewed in some ways to saying that without an adult, we can't learn. Without yeah. an adult, we won't learn as well. And I don't think that's true. I think we can learn without, but we learn different things. But an adult is still invaluable mm -hmm. in that extending and expanding. Mm -hmm. The problem mm -hmm. is that we've made another shift. Mm -hmm. And with the government regulation and the government agenda, we are now moving into adult-insisted learning. Okay. So there is no choice for the child. The child can't say now when they're just about to go into their phonics group, actually, I'd rather stay in the rock kitchen, please, because the adult isn't likely to say, as I would have done, okay, that's fine. If you want to do that, that's okay. Now, we did hear one year one teacher today say, if a child says, no, I don't want to do that right now, that they work around that. Yeah. But yeah. for many teachers, yeah. that's a huge yeah. challenge. Yeah. And that adult-insisted agenda yeah. means, yeah. I need you to come, I need you to come now, yeah. and I need you to learn yeah. what's on this yeah. piece of paper, yeah. because that's my job. Yeah. So that takes the power of control over that particular experience, mm. often away mm. from the child. Mm. And it takes a very skilled teacher to say, okay, within that framework, mm -hmm. within mm -hmm. that theme or that topic or mm -hmm. that, that math concept, mm -hmm. What can I offer back to the children that says, okay, you tell me which bits of that you already know. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. tell me which bits of that you'd like to explore more. You tell me how you work that out, because I worked it out this way, but I think you might have a better way. So constantly be thinking all the time, even within the adult agenda, how can we say to the children, what you think, what you know, will alter the way I support you, but also the way I scaffold you. And you're more likely to keep the child engaged in that way, I think, than if you simply say, no, this is my time, and we'll do it my way. And I think there must be a continuum in that, mustn't there, in terms of how much in the balance of the day or the week there is the adult-insisted learning and the child-led, and where that balance is tipped or balance sits, really. Yeah, unfortunately, it was like one of the practitioners asked that today. There is no answer to that. No. There's no neat answer. You know, many of us will remember the missive that was sent to local authorities saying that there should be a balance of 80-20. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And 80% was to be child-led because that's what you were going to be assessing the children on, about 20% adult-led. Now, the person who wrote that missive will readily accept the fact that that was just a number plucked out of the air. But the important thing was, in the early years, in the EYFS, you needed to do much more child-led learning than adult-led. So that was a good message. But even in the early years, even in the EYFS, it will depend on mm -hmm. whether it's September or whether it's June in the school cycle whether the child is just beginning to think about a concept or whether they're becoming expert at it. So do they need my support to understand it or can they go off and in fact teach that to another child sure. because they're so independent. Okay. It will change a child to child, the confident child to the more vulnerable, insecure child. 
It will change sometimes Monday to Friday. It will change according to whether it's raining and windy or not. So this shows the complex yes, it does. role of the adult and yeah. the flexibility needed yeah. to be the adult the child needs you to be. So with a broad brush that in the early years, the dominant way of learning still needs to be child-led. As children move through year one and year two, you have to find the balance that works for you and your children on that day of that week of that month in the school year. But I go back to yeah. what you don't do mm -hmm. is arrive in January mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. say, we've got to January, therefore we can get rid of all the learning that gives children the problem solving, the initiative taking, the collaboration and so on. Thank you, Julie. It has been absolutely wonderful chatting with you today. Thank you. I think it's left us all probably, I can speak for all of us who, who are listening to you, we could listen to you forever, but we will stop there for now. Thank you so much. This is the end of our first part of our PedPod conversation with Julie. Please listen to the second PedPod, which continues the conversation, and here's her share about her early years thinking and pedagogy. Like me, I'm sure that you've been inspired and provoked into thinking further about early education and how your practice and leadership can be inspired through Julie's research. You can find out more about Julie's work in her books and on our early education website, www.early-education.org.uk. Thanks for listening.